here. I'm going to turn your attention back to Romans chapter uh, 6 again. Um, and then we'll be in Ephesians, uh, the fourth chapter. Um, but in verse 15, Paul makes a statement again. He's written this letter to the Romans. And really all he's talking about in this section, and Paul read it for you, is that if you understand the, that God saved you, that he saved you, um, how is that supposed to translate in your life? What's it supposed to look like? And so it, I'm just going to reread just a very few handful of verses then, verse 15 of chapter 6. What then shall we, what then? Shall we sin because we're, because we're not under the law? Now, the law would be the Old Testament. When, when Paul uses the term law, he's talking about Genesis through Malachi. So you could just say here, he says, what then shall we sin because we're not under the Old Testament? We're not under that Old Testament law, uh, but under grace, that New Testament co co uh, covenant. And the word he uses, he's already used it once. It's a Greek word that is, says meganoite. And it just means may it never be. Yes, you're not under the Old Testament, the condemnation of the Old Testament law. You are under grace, but by no means do you have the right to sin, to just continue in sin. In fact, he says, verse 16, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, and by the way, if you're a Christian, you are a slave to and of Christ. It's documented in the, in the New Testament. It's a part of our life with Christ. I don't know if you see yourself that way as a Christian, but if, if you are indeed saved, if God has saved you by, by and through Christ alone, through grace alone, by faith alone, then you are indeed, uh, you're many things. You're a child of God. You're part of his kingdom, but you also are a slave to Jesus Christ. You're a servant. So again, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? That's great truth there, isn't it? Um, Paul had already said that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. He said that in the third chapter of Romans. Some of us, our sin is really obvious. I mean, you can, it's just obvious. All of us have hidden sin. All of us do. All of us are pretty good at covering up sin. We learned that from a very young age. You just watch a brother and sister fight and they didn't do it. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. It was him. It was her. So we get pretty good at covering up sin. Uh, what's really sad is we get really good at ignoring sin. That's what's really sad. So we have obvious sin. We have hidden sin. We're, we're good at covering up sin. We just learned that from our flesh already knows it. And the problem in our life is that we begin to grow up from that, our mother's womb and we draw that first breath and then we're living and growing. Our flesh already knows how to live in sin. Uh, David would write in the 51st Psalm that we're born in iniquity. So the flesh is just doing your flesh. My flesh is just doing what it knows to do. Doesn't really have to be taught a whole lot. It can be taught, and it will magnify the things that are already desires, the earthly things. Okay, we'd agree with that. So I sin, I hide sin, and then I ignore sin. And then I also judge other people's sin. 
You know, we, we, we have a, a, a weighing issue. We just weigh sin. Well, I sin, but my sin is not as obvious or as big as his sin. We do that. Again, we do that from a very young age. And so Paul's just writing here. He says, uh, again, I'm going to read it again. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin resulting in death or of, of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were committed. I want you to hear that again. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Now go to Ephesians in chapter 4. The Apostle Paul was a prisoner when he wrote this letter. He wrote three letters. He wrote uh, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. If you know about his conversion, you can read about it in the book of Acts. He was a persecutor of the church. God saved him. Great stories on the road to Damascus. Read about it in the book of Acts. He becomes an apostle. God uses him in mighty ways. He's responsible for most of the teaching, the writing in the New Testament. Um, and in, in the book of Acts, he chronicles his life, uh, three missionary journeys. So there's a lot of information about Paul. Okay, and so it, when he writes Ephesians, he's a prisoner and he makes a statement about pretty much just the same thing that he writes to the Romans. He makes a statement about our life as Christians. Now, I'm going to be reading in verse 17, chapter four, verse 17. This I say, therefore, now throughout his letter, Paul's always saying this, therefore, therefore. So he makes a statement, therefore, or he'll say, as a result, or, I mean, so he just teaches in sections, and we'll get back to that in a minute, but this is one of those therefore statements. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Now, let me just say something. If you don't know what a Gentile is, um, uh, I tell you the humorous story, so I was in high school and I was dating a Jewish girl. I didn't know anything about anything. Still don't, but I sure didn't then. And uh, her, her father told her that she couldn't date me because I was a Gentile. I didn't know what that was. I went to my granddad, and I thought he was saying something really ugly about me. But I guess he thought maybe he was. I don't know. But I went and I said, Grandpa, this man won't let me date his daughter because I'm a Gentile. And he just laughed. He thought that was so funny. He had to explain that to me. And so... If you don't know what that is, in the Old Testament, there were the Jewish people, the Hebrews, uh, the Israelites that were God's chosen people. And if you weren't a Hebrew or an Israelite or Jewish, you were a Gentile. You weren't Jewish. And so this statement here, remember Paul is now a missionary to the Gentiles. And when he makes this statement, he said, I'm going to affirm something. I have to say this together with the Lord that you don't walk, you don't live any longer 
You don't live just as the Gentiles also walk in, in the futility of their mind. Now, what, he wasn't anti-Gentile. He wasn't peeking on the Gentiles. He was making a statement that if you're not a child of God, if you're not of God, your mind, your thinking is different. Now, one thing the Jews had is preeminent in their life with God. They had minds and thinking that was based upon the foundation of God's word. So no matter what, even as flawed as you might have been as a child of Israel or Jewish or Hebrew, at least there was a foundation. There was the law. There was Genesis through Malachi. And you were taught from a very young age, if you were Jewish, that the foundation of everything you did, believed, uh, from the things that you eat, your lifestyle and everything, the foundation was God in his word. If you weren't Jewish, that's what he's saying here. If you weren't Jewish, you were Gentile. And so your thinking would be futile. And you're not supposed to live that way. You're not supposed to have a futile way, a, a useless way of living that, that, that as the thinking is, there's no foundation of God in his word. That's all he's saying. So we just move forward. He says, so, again, this I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Now listen, this is how, if you want to know what a futile mind is? If you said, tell me what Paul means when he says futile mind, futile thinking, a thinking that has no foundation, that is the word of God. Here's, here it is. This is number one, being darkened in their understanding. Do you know why we have the house of hope? Do you know why we have prisons and county jails? Do you know why we have Still Creek Ranch and homes for dispossessed children? Do you know why we have courthouses in every community, every county seat, where people are suing one another, marriages are being dissolved, family members are fighting over inheritance, People are suing one another, and the prisons and the jails are growing, and the drug addiction and residential treatment facilities are growing. Is because from the time we were born, if God is not at the foundation and his word is not the foundation of our thinking and our heart and our living, your mind is being darkened in understanding. The scripture says Jesus is the light and he came into the world to overcome the darkness. And indeed he does. So you're either with God or you're without God. And if you're with God, your understanding is based upon his word according to Jesus Christ. And if you're not, your understanding is being darkened. From the time you're born in iniquity, and as you grow, you begin to understand stuff. You're under, I'm understanding stuff. I'm understanding how uh, ungodly carnal marriages work. I understand how those gang members and the selling and buying of drugs and the consumption of alcohol, I understand how that works. Not only do I understand it, I begin to desire it. My role models. So my understanding is growing 
in darkness. And then the next thing that happens, so being darkened in their understanding, here's the saddest thing in the whole equation, as, as you and I are being darkened in our understanding, we, here's the, we're excluded from the life of God. There's no greater horror in all of history, in all of eternity, than a soul that is excluded from the life of God. There is none. There's just none. And let me tell you something. It's real easy to point a finger at somebody at a residential therapy treatment or somebody, the, the convict in the county jail or the prisoner, or, you know. And as sad as this is to say, I have to tell you, there are churches full of people sitting in pews that, that are not in a residential drug facility or a county jail or that they too are excluded from the life of God. Those aren't my words. They're Jesus' word. He says it twice in the Sermon on the Mount. He says it once at the beginning of the sermon, once at the end. Uh, and then he says it in Matthew 25. He said, there'll be people that say, Lord, Lord. Uh, we did all these things. We prophesied in your name. And we were, listen, he said, I don't know you. They have been excluded from the life of God. So our, that darkening in our understanding can be of a religious nature. And the Bible's very clear about that. But what happens is, whether that dark understanding is being developed in your life, the reality is that you will be excluded from the life of God. You could be like the people of Israel. They, they would say God. They would praise God. But he said, yeah, I don't, have any, I don't want to have anything to do with you. In fact, he'd say, again, throughout the Old Testament, these people praise me with their tongue, but their heart is far removed. And you can see it in the evidence of their life. So it doesn't have to be as glaring as somebody that's struggling with drug or alcohol addiction. You can, should be able to see darkened understanding, people that are excluded from the life of God, and there's why. Because of the ignorance that is in them. This is a domino effect. Is as my understanding is being darkened, I'm growing, and the, and the influences in my life that develop my understanding, it's like a dimmer switch. It just gets darker and darker and darker and darker to the point where we live in a world now where we call evil good and good evil. That's the result of understanding that's being darkened. And the dimmer switch just gets darker and darker. And as it gets darker, we are excluded from the life of God. And as we're excluded from the life of God, something happens. We become ignorant. Now, he's not saying that disrespectfully. Ignorance is what? We just don't have any knowledge, not any genuine knowledge. We're ignorant of a greater truth. We're ignorant of the truth. We become ignorant of something because we can't understand it. And if we don't understand it, we're excluded from it. And if we're excluded from it, we just become ignorant. And it's in them. And listen to that. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. You know that you and I, we, we just want to blame God for so much. But you and I are responsible for the stuff that's in us. Because of the ignorance did you ever think about that? Would you had a pitcher, and the pitcher is saved, it's full of ignorance. And if you could just see somebody, would you pick up a pitcher of ignorance and just pour it in you? Well, you just say, well, I would never do that. Really. 
I'm going to pour some ignorance in me. I'm going to pour some ignorance in me. I'm going to pour some ignorance in me. Because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. The scripture has a lot to say about the heart. The scripture says with the heart we believe. The scripture says, the writer of Proverbs said, above all else, guard your heart because from it the wellsprings of life come forward. Jesus says the heart is wicked above all else because from it become all kinds of adultery and fornication and murders and even spiritual murders and gossip and slander. Hard hearts. So the recipe... The recipe the, the, of a futile mind is darkness and understanding, exclusion from the life of God, because of the ignorance that we, that's in them, and because of the hardness of their heart. And so what happens when something becomes hard? And they, having become calloused, callous, callous. Again, you don't have to go to a residential treatment facility to see dark understanding, life excluded from God, the ignorance that is in us, the hardness of hearts, and then the callousing. Because they have given... Here it is. There's that word given. Because they have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Every time you'll see a sexual sin in the New Testament when it talks about immorality or impurity, it's always connected to greed. I've said that before. But sexual impurity and immorality is a, is a sin of greed. It's greediness. It's addiction. That's why pornography is such a, it's greed. Did you know that? Pornography, the addiction, it's greed. Whether it's alcohol, drugs, or pornography, it's greed. I can't get enough. I want more. I need more. I want more. I need more. My, darking is, uh, my understanding is darkened, and, 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 and I'm excluded from the life of God and I become ignorant, I give myself over to that ignorance, and then it just gets worse, and my heart is hardened, and it becomes callous, and the reason is, is because I have given myself to these, these things that have to do with impurity, uncleanliness, greediness, sensuality. But here's the thing. Paul had been two years with these folks. And this is what he's getting at. They knew all this. This was not new. This was not new teaching from the Apostle Paul. He sat there in Ephesus. You can read about it in the book of Acts. He taught them daily. And now he's giving them a letter, and he's reminding them of things. And in verse 20, and we just read it in Romans 7, uh, Romans 6, but you did not learn Christ in this way. You did not learn Christ in this way way. Here's the thing that I want to say to you this morning. This is important stuff. He said, listen, how did he say it? 
Verse 17, Romans 6, but thanks be to God and, and, and that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. There's that heart again. Instead of having a calloused heart, now you have an obedient heart to that form of teaching in which you were committed. And then here he goes. He said, this is what happens. This is how it happens. Don't walk like a Gentile that has no fundamental foundational understanding of God and his word. Don't do that, because if you do, here's what's going to happen. And then he said, but you didn't learn Christ. You did not learn Christ in this way. Now, let's go. I don't know how you have learned Christ. I don't know. But you should know. Because the single most important thing that you'll ever know that will affect your understanding, your life with God. A calloused heart, a hardened heart, futility of mind is based upon one and only one thing. And that is how you've learned Christ. Now, years and years and years and years and years of uh, Going into prisons, teaching, class, services, um, ministering to the body of Christ. The, the scripture says that as a preacher, uh, part of your ministry is the ministry of the word. Well, the word is obviously the word of God. And then the reality and the expression of that is in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that had to do with Jesus. So the word of God, written word of God. Jesus Christ, the Word of God. And then the teaching. How have you learned Christ? Now, here's what I've learned. I, I need to identify it. I don't care who you are and what you do in life. Maybe you're a baseball coach. Maybe you're just, I don't know. You, you may be in management or supervision or you, you may uh, run heavy equipment. I don't know. But you're, listen, you if you're running heavy equipment and say you're really good at it, or if you're training horses and you're really good at it, you've learned it from somebody and then you've learned by your own trial and error, correct? And so we're just learning all the time. We're learning. We're taught something. We learn something. And then we know something. Now that can be good and bad. You can be taught something bad, learn something bad. And now I know something bad. So I can be taught something good something Christ, learn something good, Christ, and now I know something good, Christ. Now here's the problem. Here's the, here when you look at spiritual warfare and its inception, that, that Satan is indeed prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and then you look at what scripture teaches, and then you look at the red letter words of Jesus where he says on the Sermon on the Mount, and then he says in Matthew 25, there's going to be people that say to him, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I don't know you. I don't know you. So, I don't care if you're a drug addict. I don't care if you're uh, uh, the, the a charter member of the original Church of God number two, and you're in church every time doors are open. I don't care. I mean, God cares, and you should care. But the reality is, based upon the way you've learned Christ, there's a responsibility and a reality there. And a responsibility is that you, you, 
as a being that God has given life, and you have, you are in charge of what you learn and how you learn and why you learn and what you want to learn. And at some point, you're going to be accountable for that. And so we have churches full of people. That, Paul would even say, there'll be a time when things are coming to an end where men and women will draw. They want some teachers. They want somebody to teach them. But you know what kind of teacher they want? They want somebody to tickle their ears. Now, so, you know, depending on which side of the aisle you're on, I've heard people say, you know, I've said the hardcore right-wing fundamental group over here, they're saying, oh, they just want to have a, a prosperity gospel. Oh, they just want to have, you know, Christian life. Oh, they just want to have entertainment. And so they'll do that and because that tickles their ears. But then I will tell you what I have seen is the other side where there are those that actually believe that, that they have a corner on obedience because they know the Scripture, they've memorized the Scripture, they can teach the Scripture, they can speak the Scripture, and they're more of the hell, fire, and brimstone. And that tickles their ears. I like it when the Word of God talks about obedience. And I like it when I do the Scripture talks about what I can do and what I can know and how I can know it. And then you can identify somebody just like that Pharisee in Luke 18 in the temple. And I use this example so many times because Jesus uses it as a lesson of justification. He said, there's this Pharisee, he goes to the temple and he looks out, there's a sinner, and he says, thank you, God, for not making me like other men. Thank you. Because you know what? I'm an obedient man to the word of God. I tithe even 10% of the smallest thing. So you, that tickles his ear. A teaching that says, this is what you have to do. This has to do with your obedience. And it, the result will be that you can be sure that somehow, maybe you could even thank God. And you think, then that gives you the right to judge somebody. And that tickles, they like that kind of preaching. It's the easiest thing in the world. Let me tell you, it's the easiest thing in the world. We're at Bryan College Station, Curtin, Texas. If I wanted to be a hellfire and brimstone preacher, that'd just be so easy. White, upper middle class, rural folks. And all them Christians, so many of us are scared of what's going on right now. Black Lives Matter. You know, we talked about this in the, the Chinese, you know, they Oh, my God, everywhere you look. And, uh, you could get up in this pulpit, and you could start preaching that hellfire and brimstone, and, and all the members of the choir, they'd be, oh, boy, that's some good biblical preaching. Really? Hmm. Could just be tickling some ears. Learning Christ. Learning Christ. Learning Christ. So we have... Uh, this is epidemic. This is really, I think, maybe is, uh, I call them the Easter and Christmas Christians. That's how they learn Christ. Easter and Christmas is a big deal. Really? Well, of course it is. Oh, that preacher just said Easter and Christmas. Well, both of them were pagan holidays. Don't, they both were. Both of those were pagan holidays, and the church adopted them. Do you know that as a Christian, you ought to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection, the birth and death, burial, and resurrection every day, every Sunday, and you don't have to put a title on it. 
other than Christ and him crucified. He was born to be crucified. He was crucified to be resurrected. But it's really convenient to turn that into an Easter Christmas celebration. Now I have met my obligation. I was inspired, made me feel good. And if I can work out coming to church 10, maybe 20 times, you know, a a year, but that's really good. It's not as good as Easter or Christmas. What a fallacy. But that's the way you learn Christ. Maybe you've learned M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E Christ. Maybe you've learned if I just say it, if I just believe it, if I just claim it, if I just, you know, oh, it's a prosperity gospel. I've just, man, I've claimed that. I've, really? You just, so Jesus, the Christ that you've learned, is sitting in heaven waiting. Maybe, maybe this brother, maybe, maybe he'll get the prayer right this time. Maybe, you might. I'm just waiting up here. You know, do you have enough faith? Well, if you just have enough faith, oh, I'm just, oh, he said it just right. So now I can reward him. And then they abuse verses like, I came to you might have life and have it more abundantly. And they think that's what that means. And the reason you don't have is because you don't ask. And so then that equates to a promotion at work or a better car or a better wife or a better husband or better something. And we can use that all kinds of shit. You've learned Christ that way. He's just, he's, he's the master puppet waiting for you, though, to just do the right things as a dead puppet. And so then, so, oh, hey, now, okay, he's done what I need him and want him to do, so I'll bless him. I mean, what a fallacy. But people have learned. We've got churches full. The prosperity gospel is converting more people and losing more people, real numbers, than any other faith movement in the world. Man, it's that Matthew 13. It's the parable of the seed, you know, that, that falls beside the road and in the thorny places and, and, and in the good soil. And, and it's that first part we have to explain. There are those who, that seed is the word of God. There are those who receive it with joy, but a little bit of trouble comes along. And Satan snatches it away. But they've learned something about Christ. Maybe it's a prosperity gospel. Maybe it's legalism. Maybe it's works. And you just go on and on and on. But at some point, you have to be responsible for what you're learning about Christ. Because if you don't, all you can look forward to is a futile mind, darkened understanding, excluded from the life of God, ignorant with a hard heart that has become calloused. And then that's all you got to do to be sensual, impure, or greedy. But you didn't learn Christ this way. The word of God doesn't come back void. If I just stopped, parked the car right here and moved forward, and I preached every sermon that I could, Genesis through Revelation, to, to teach Christ in his fullness. I don't know when it would ever come to an end. You can start in Genesis. Paul reiterates it. He's creator. Go to Colossians. Paul would say that everything was created by him and through him and for him. Christ. So he's creator. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. 
We just start to learn. And that's good. That's good. My favorite verse in the whole Bible is 1 Corinthians 2.2. I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, if you'll just start there. Look at the creation in light of Jesus Christ and him crucified. The crucifixion made the creation and gave it life. Paul will write the Romans, the invisible attributes of God have now been made known through the creation. So that we're all without an excuse. The nails that were made, the, the cross that was grown and then cut, he created. The oxygen that would run out of his lungs, he created. The blood that was in his veins, he created. And so you could see him as creator. And you could just go on and on and on. I'm going to go to Hebrews. We'll conclude in Hebrews. In the 26th chapter, Paul had written, read Romans chapter 6 and 5 and 6 to you this morning, 518 through 618. If, if you were to continue to read in Ephesians, it really mirrors that same thing. So should you continue to sin? Because we have a lot of Christians that will do that. Well, I'm saved by grace, and so my behavior really doesn't. And Scripture says, oh, no, 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 no. God did not free you from sin so that you could be free to sin. God did not free you from sin so that you could be free to sin. He, he didn't do that. One of my early uh, Christian uh, ministries that was at a church, small church, and uh, the church members came to me, and they were really upset about a it was a small community, and they were upset about one of the church members um, who had a problem with profanity. And this guy was in church every Sunday. It's, I'm not picking on him. It's just a good illustration. But it certainly would apply to all of us. Um, and, and it's, again, it was a small town, and this man used a lot of profanity. Uh, but he never did. I never heard it. I've talked to him a lot. I'd go by a shop, never heard any profanity. I see him in church, never heard any profanity. But I had enough members who said, oh, Brother Rogers said, you know, it's really hard. We live in a small community and at, at, at the feed store and at the, you know, and other preachers have tried to deal with it, but his, his language is just terrible. And so I was young and I went to visit with the gentleman and, and I just put it out there and and this is what he told me. I thought this was interesting. It was a good lesson for me. He said, well, preacher, you need to understand something. I grew up in a rural community. I joined the Marines at a young age. Uh, when I got out of the Marines, I was a prison guard for several years before I opened this business here. And so I just looked at him and said, so what you're telling me is the influence of your upbringing, Marines, um, and then a prison guard, that's, it's, your use of profanity then is okay. 
He said, well, that's just where it comes from. And I asked him, I said, so how come you don't do that at church? I, I've never heard you use, and I'm not here to judge you. But it opened the door for a great study with this gentleman for the next two years. And I saw God bring about a change. It, it, and it all has to do with the way you learn Christ. And again, he didn't free you from sin so that you could sin. And then this statement here that the writer of Hebrews makes. Again, we could just preach endlessly about this. But in verse 26... Um, I'm going to go ahead and start at verse 19. Since therefore, brethren, and by the way, the book of Hebrews is about one thing. You may think it's a complicated writing, but it's just about the superiority of Christ. The writer of Hebrews says that Christ is superior to Moses. He's superior to the law. He's superior to the angels. He's superior. And so then in verse 19, he says, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us, through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean with an, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Great statements about Christ. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now here's a verse. Here's a learning Christ verse. All those had to do with learning Christ, not forsaking our own assembly together. In fact, the scripture does says, do not forsake the assembling of the saints is actually in the, the Greek. So it's a command, as is the habit of some, uh, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day draw near. And here it is, guys. For if we go on sinning willfully, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth that you've learned, the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. But a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, Dies without mercy. You ought to read, go back to that Ephesians passage and it, what Paul says to set aside. But he says, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two, three witnesses. That's according to the word of God. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? And has insulted the spirit of grace. He didn't free you from sin so that you continue to sin. And if you don't make that judgment, if you've not learned that, if you don't know that, here's what's happening. Could you imagine? Would you willfully in your mind and heart think about this? I'm going to trample under my feet the son of God. I'm going to regard unclean the blood of the covenant that by which he sanctified me, and I'm going to insult the spirit of grace. I don't think anybody would here would do that. But I have to tell you, churches are full of people because of the way they've learned Christ, and unknowingly, but they're responsible, you and I are responsible for what we know. And yet, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? Trampling underfoot the Son of God. We've regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified 
And we've insulted the spirit of grace. If you want some specific examples of that, boy, we don't have enough time this morning. And I'm just talking about in the body of Christ. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Have you learned that about Christ? Or have you just learned that he's a savior? The scripture says he's sitting at the right hand of God as judge and savior. And I got to tell you, I'm not nearly as worried as about those people. If all he's given you is a cup of water, that's all he wants back. I ain't nearly as worried about those folks that are, 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 are just in some way, all they got in them is just a, something, a little bit of something. And they were raised in the third ward of Houston. And they were raised in the west side of San Antonio. And they were raised in some place and community. And they were raised in carnality. They were raised as a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth child of, of a home where there was an absent father. They were raised with carnality. They were raised with abuse. They were raised with all of this ungodly sinfulness. And at some time, at some point, in some intersection of their life, God maybe becomes a reality. And all they know to do is just call upon his name. Praise God. They'll be saved just like that criminal on the cross. I have no worry for those people. I see the sovereignty of God. But the one that I'm worried about is that individual that says, I'm going to church when it's convenient. Unless I don't have something to do with a sports activity with my child. Because maybe that's somehow kind of good. But I'm going to go when it's convenient for me. I'll do God a favor. I'll worship him on Easter or Christmas. I'll do something that really elevates me more than it does him. And when the preacher makes me mad, or a brother and sister of Christ makes me mad, or I'm not getting my way. I'm going to stomp my feet like a whining, thumb-sucking two-year-old. Now, that's the ones I'm worried. I tell you, I'm worried. And you know what? It doesn't matter whether I'm worried. If they've read this word and if they've learned Christ that way, they ought to be worried. Because the word says, in our ignorance, vengeance is mine, I'll repay it. Again, the Lord will, will judge his people. These are heavy words. And if they make you angry, God, boy, I hope it just something might happen that'll break a flood in your heart that'll cause this great worry in you and this great pain in you and godly sorrow and godly repentance. And maybe that's some of you. And then finally, it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Oh. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. Christianity is not the promise of worldly blessings. Christianity is the promise of a great conflict of sufferings. Temporarily. Temporarily. Partly by being made a public spectacle through the reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that, listen here, final thing, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. I love being blessed by God. 
I love good things come. I love it when my cup overflows. He tells me to find all joy. Find joy when you suffer and persecuted and suffer all kinds of persecutions. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. It's hard to get there. But it's better to know this. That this thing right here is going to be over real quick. But because of that right there, we have an eternity in heaven with him. He said, you don't have to worry to his apostles. I'm going home. I'm going. And I'm going to prepare a home for you. For all of eternity. Do you know that Christ? Have you been taught that Christ? If you haven't, start today. Start today. Learn Christ that way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, my prayer is that every, every, every piece of knowledge that we have concerning you will be based upon the knowledge of your son and him crucified. My prayer is that everything that I learn about Christ in my marriage, in my lifestyle, in my heart, in love and forgiveness and mercy is based upon knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified. Help us, Father. Help us to learn Christ in a way that magnifies you and not us. And it is in the name of all knowledge, in the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen.